0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung.
2: Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. and I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show today Dr. Henry Grayson, who has written a wonderful book called Use Your Body to Heal Your Mind, Revolutionary Tools to Release All Barriers to Health, Healing and Happiness. And having read the book and having Uh, done the work that I do, certainly in the last few years, uh, Henry Grayson has uh, really captured the essence of what we need to understand for our full, healthful healing and future happiness. So, Henry, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
2: So I'd love love for you to explain to our listeners right off the bat here how your world evolved into uh, doing this work that you're doing today. How did that all come about for you?
3: Well, it started way, way back, actually. It started when I was in graduate school. I had, uh, I might say as a background to it, through my mid-teens to my mid-twenties, uh, I had had very severe sore throats and colds several times a year. And they would be quite debilitating. It would always start out as a sore throat and would develop into a horrible cold, sometimes laryngitis as well. So here I was in graduate school. I needed to take comprehensive exams in a couple of days. But I had a German Shepherd puppy that was getting bigger and he was getting out of the fence and so I had to go out and repair the fence uh, because they wanted him to get run over in the street nearby. And here it was in Massachusetts, 20 degrees, 20 mile an hour wind and snowing like crazy. And I was working at, on that and I started to get my sore throat. And at that moment I was very distraught because that's the last thing I needed I thought before I take my comprehensive exams. and. Uh, and so I, then I remembered, maybe I don't have to get sick. Why? Because i had taken done a directed study the semester before on mind body medicine to, re, to research the, uh, uh, the to look at up the research that was available at that time. And in that time, only a few things were considered mind body related. something like skin disorders, asthma, uh, ulcers, a few things like that. But anyway, as I was there getting with that sore throat, I suddenly thought about what I'd studied, and I thought, gee, now if the mind can affect these parts of the body, why would it be restricted from other parts, and why would it not affect me in terms of whether I get a cold or not and a sore throat? I said, this doesn't make sense to me, that there are these compartments that are mind-body connected and others that are not. So I started to ask myself a series of questions. One is, why might I need this? Or why might I need it now? What would it get for me? Or what would it get me out of doing? Or is there an emotion that I could expre- be expressing through this that I've not dealt with directly? Or is there some kind of symbolism here? Is there some kind of metaphor involved in this? And I asked myself those questions very thoughtfully, you know, why might I not need it now? Or what would it get me out of? And I, my first thought was, maybe I want to get out of taking a comprehensive exam. And then I thought, second thought was, no, I don't want to get out of that because uh, I'm 95% prepared. And so, If I don't take it now, I've got to spend, I've been spending weekends preparing myself and I have to spend the next three months of weekends being prepared for the next time the exam's given. So I thought, no, it's not that. And so then I thought, well, what could it be then? And I went down my own questions and I got to the part about what emotion might be expressed in it. Suddenly I saw my neighbor looking out of her kitchen window overlooking my backyard where I was working. And I suddenly felt a big pang of guilt. And I thought, okay, I'm really on to something here. And so when I recognized that, I thought, what's this guilt about as I see her face? Then the first thing occurred to me was that there's something I promised to do for her aged father that she took care of that I'd planned to do uh, next week right after I'd finished exams. And, uh, but, uh, and I knew I would do it. I wasn't trying to get out of that because when I make a commitment to do something, I keep my word, always have. So I knew I wasn't trying to get out of it. But what I realized I'd done is I had made it, I had projected something onto her. I'd projected onto her that she was seeing me out here in my yard doing all this work in this horrible weather for my dog when I'd not done this, whatever it was for her father. And, uh, and with that I realized that's what that guilt was about. And I realized too that it wasn't about me trying to get out of something because I knew I would do it, but I knew that it was my projection. They cause that guilt feeling. And so I thought, well, is that the way I prefer to deal with this? Do I want to get sick in order to get out of dealing with something? And I thought, no way. How would I prefer to deal with it? I thought, well, when I finish my work, I'll go inside and I'll give her a call and say, well, I wanted you to know I haven't forgotten your father. I'm finishing comprehensive exams in a couple of days, and the day after I'll be over and do this thing for him. You know, when I made the firm commitment to do that that I knew I would keep, my, my sore throat went away in about... 20, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever. And this had never happened before. And the more amazing thing is I've never had one of those debilitating sore throats and cold scents uh, because any time I'd start to get the first sign of the symptom, I would ask myself with great deep sincerity and curiosity, why might I need this? What would it get from me? What would it get me out of doing? What emotion is being expressed here? What's the metaphor being expressed? And I'd be open to the most irrational of answers. And I found that if I get the answer, that was never sufficient. But if I would decide an alternative way of dealing with that issue, other than paying the price of the symptom, invariably the symptom would go away, sometimes in a few minutes. Other times it might take a few hours or sometimes a few days. But inevitably, I would be free of the symptom so that 's what started me on this whole thing, recognizing that the mind is really what rules here
2: and so you 've gone from there to to where you are now, having written this comprehensive book about health and healing and the barriers to wellness and and, and health so uh, explain to our listeners what you have learned about uh, illness and disease and and what uh, how they manifest what creates them in our in our bodies
3: well there i've understood come to understand that they're really the whole plethora of things that can be involved in our having illnesses. Uh, uh, w- trauma is one significant thing. Like if we have traumas early in our life, in early childhood, there's a high correlation between unresolved or unclear traumas from childhood and the onset of serious illnesses in early adult life. We also know that there's a high correlation between uh, a, a big trauma we have in our adult lives and often within a few hours or within a day, we can have a small symptom emerge, and sometimes, and quite frequently too, within a year or two after a major trauma, we might get a significant or more serious illness. Uh, We also know that uh, unclear traumas can go way, way back and set predispositions toward illness. They can go back to early childhood, those times we don't even remember, when they're the most important developmental years, and yet we remember hardly anything from it. We know the first year of life is very significant because we have more new learnings and new experiences in that one year than any other year in our lives as our little brain's developing rapidly. We also know that there can be, with the brain scan, with the studies now of uh, uh, the fetus while in the uterus, we know that the, the fetus picks up any trauma from the mother, what's going on, or the environment, if their parents are fighting. The child really, the little fetus reacts dramatically. If it's something peaceful and loving, the baby is all peaceful and relaxed. And so, uh, and they, and also the little fetus picks up all the stress hormones from the mother if they, something crisis, some difficulties are going on. Those set us up again to predispose us toward problems later on. And then, of course, we can bring in our genetic memories from one generation or 10 or 20 or 50 generations ago. And something, once we are conceived and past that time, something in our environment, emotional, physical, or, or consciousness, can activate some genes and not others and predisposes. And even what people call past lives, and I don't know whether that's literal or a metaphor, and I don't really care. But whatever that is, it's just information in the unified field that we have. And those I've seen be directly related to some certain symptoms some people have as well. And so... When I think of the traumas, I think of it any kind of painful experience, not just dramatically traumatic things, but also those very slow, repetitive, insidious experiences of growing up as children too, where we feel rejected, we feel criticized, we feel ignored, we have pressure put on us all the time, a lot of judgments or whatever it is. Or we grow up around parents who are very frightened themselves and very anxious and very fearful. And as little kids, we'll just download their way of approaching the world will take in their fears as if that's the reality of the world, you know, and live by them. All of these things uh, predispose us toward illness.
2: And and Henry, in your experience, uh, before someone actually manifests an illness, is there a typical trigger that brings people to that place of manifesting physically into the body?
3: Often. Often there is a trigger. Sometimes it's gradual, but often there is a trigger. There's no question what, and about what, that.
2: And, and what, what, what might that be? What sort of things
3: it would be it'd be what the trigger is usually something that would reactivate the earlier trauma, something that's similar enough to it. Because in the limbic system, in that part of our survival brain, just above the brain stem, uh, the part of the brain called the hippocampus and encodes and information. Like for the caveman, it worked very well. If he got bitten by a snake any time he saw something that looked like one, you know, he'd have this warning signal go off and he'd grab a club or run run away. Now neuroscientists tell me that that part of our brain is probably 15 to 18 times too active for our stage of evolution. And that means it gets activated way too easily. And so but what it has there it's anything that reminds us of the old trauma, you know, sets it off like a little thing that most people have experienced is uh, you're sitting in a restaurant having a nice meal with your spouse, with your uh, friend, or with a parent, or a child, or a uh, or brother, or sister, or someone, and it's perfectly pleasant conversation. One person says something totally innocuous, and the other person just loses it and goes off the wall. We've pretty much all had that kind of experience, either from someone else or ourselves doing it. Something pushed a button that contacted that old information and set off the, warn- the warning alarm, that says something is really dangerous here right now, and whammo, we got the reaction. So that's one thing that happens that uh, uh, causes something to be a trigger, because if we have something that triggers things like that, and it might be something that is a big trigger, or sets off a big kind of uh, reaction to something in the past, or it might be something that triggers the the reaction to uh, that repetitive experience that was so difficult for us. Either one is the Quite often that may set off the illness so that means that the cause of the illness is not the trigger but to distinguish between the trigger and the cause and the trigger can lead us to understanding maybe the cause
2: so henry that's a perfect time for us to pause for a moment have our first break and when we return we'll get henry to explain how we can begin to unravel this mystery that we are involved in it's peter tongue for awakening to conscious co-creation
1: The Voice America
0: 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. The Voice
1: America Seventh Wave Channel Be extraordinary, be the change. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tongue. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at
2: gmail.com.
1: Now back to our program.
2: Welcome back to awakening to conscious co-creation with your host, Peter Tongue. Just a reminder to go to my website, ww.peterton.com. I'm having difficulty keeping up with myself at the moment. There's so much going on in my world and in our world, uh, but my newsletter will be coming out in the next week or so, trying to help us understand what's taking place in the world at the moment. And also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. And we do have an Ambassadors of Light class happening tomorrow evening at 5.30, where I'll be talking about the solar eclipse of last weekend and moving into our energy of Gemini and our Gemini workshop on June the 3rd. I have with me today Dr. Henry Grayson, and we are talking about the contents of his book and his life's work, Use Your Body to Heal Your Mind. And just before the the break, Henry, you were talking about, well, I asked you to talk about the emotional triggers that uh, can be responsible for the creation of illness. So just continue with that story so our listeners can understand how it unfolds.
3: Uh, Sure, because we were talking before about the various kind of traumas on one hand and the downloads we might even take in from our parents too as children and the others around us where we just soak in like little sponges the ways of being in the world and copying the way they do just like we copy language and learn to eat and talk and walk on two feet and so on. So that's one piece. But out of those traumas we had. And those uh, downloads, we've drawn conclusions about ourselves, about the world, about life, about our bodies. And those conclusions that are negative congeal into what I call negative core beliefs. And those beliefs can set us up for a lot more stress that can set us up for illness. Because if I believe I'm no good, I believe I'm not good enough, I believe I'm not lovable, I believe I'm rejectable, you know, et cetera, et cetera, if I have to be perfect, or, you know, on and on it goes, or the world is dangerous, or I can easily be rejected, or I will be abandoned. All of those kind of beliefs, and those are just a few, just a handful of the ones that we potentially have. And if I believe that, then I'm going to set myself up to perceive confirmation of that at every twist and turn in my life. And that's going to set me up to see something that's going to disturb me. And so I'll get the confirmation of that belief, but it will also reactivate my trauma. And the two can go hand in hand so easily and set my, set me up then to be much more likely to get a physical symptom.
2: One of the things you just touched on there was the whole connection to, I think you mentioned you called the word, the, the word was the tribe. And uh, I know, I know from my work that one of the key Issues that people have to resolve is is this expectation of showing allegiance to the tribe. So just talk about that a little bit.
3: Sure. I remember my father. was just a simple example of this. My father used to believe that if he sat in front of an electric fan, you know, in the breeze of that, it would give him a sore throat. And so, sure enough, if he sat in front of one, he'd always get a sore throat. So he believed that that was the cause and the effect. Well, I grew up hearing him talk about that, and and for a while I I found the same thing would happen for me. If I sat in front of a breeze of an electric fan, I would start to get a sore throat. And then I began. Then I later on started asking myself the questions I mentioned before, and I would never let it develop into something. But then I came to a point where I recognized some the value of our beliefs that we've learned. And I realized that nobody, everybody else around me were not getting sore throats when they sat in front of a breeze. Why was that so for my father? And why was it so for me? And I realized, okay, I'm just taking on his belief system. And that's the part I began to work on to change that belief. And as a result, I can sit in front of breezes, whatever, and not get a sore throat anymore. But I once did. And I've seen so many examples of people who say, you know, I I believe I'm going to die. What the same thing my father did. He had a heart attack at 55. I'm sure that's that's going to be my destiny, too. Or my my uncle or my aunt or my grandmother had cancer. I'm sure I'm going to have to get cancer. You know, those kind of beliefs. And they make themselves self-fulfilling, as long as we carry those. Not necessarily always, but so much of the time. So we need to really attend to letting, getting rid of those beliefs because uh, we're programming something in with that. Because when we think of the belief, then those generate thoughts, and the thoughts are always creating an effect. And the fact is, there's no such thing as an idle thought. Because every thought we have is always creating a result. And if we're having thoughts that would be reflected in my cells of my body, then it happens through the instant messaging system called the neuropeptides that we have in the body. So I have a thought. Instantly, I'm affecting all the cells in my body. And if I allow the thoughts to linger that are negative, then that's where I begin to cause some real trouble. But all of us being human, we have all have an ego. We have an ego voice that brings in that negative voice all the time. But the key part is our catching it and letting it go, our seeing through it and letting it go. But if we allow those uh, chatter to continue, to continue, to continue, then we're setting ourselves up for physical symptoms again.
2: Why is it so hard for people to step outside the tribal belief? What's the issue there?
3: Well, the most common one is some kind of allegiance to uh, the tribe or to a certain parent or to the family or to one's tradition, to one's uh, ethnic group, to one's religious group that we get indoctrinated in that, and we feel a connection to it, and we feel some kind of reluctance to break that because we think we're breaking our connection to those people.
2: And there's a fear of being uh, abandoned or, or betrayed, which may have been the original trigger in the first place for the original illness.
3: It could be that, yes. And it could be uh, just that I better keep my, my allegiance because that's the way I still feel a connection to my parent. Maybe it's my parent who's deceased, but that's the way I'm feeling connected to my parent, by having getting the same illness they get.
2: So let's, let's begin talking about how we can change things and how we can... In the, you, you use the expression in your book, uh, from recovery to discovery. Explain what that means and, and how we can begin to, to resolve these, uh, these issues in our lives.
3: Well, certainly the word recovery I think is an unfortunate word because what does that mean to recover something? So we don't want to, and I think it's not to recover what's going on with the illness, but instead to take the cover off, to discover and to unveil and make clear what was the cause of the illness to begin with. Most of us just kind of say, okay, I've got a problem. Let me run to the doctor and he'll fix it. He'll give me a pill, he'll give me some surgery, or he'll give me some intervention that will fix it. Well, of course, all we're dealing with then is the symptom level. And this doesn't mean that we should never use doctors or have something. We're not going to be like the extreme Christian scientists who let their babies die before they would take them to see a doctor. But what it is, even if we use some other treatment method, whether it's malopathic medicine or whether it's alternative medicine, uh, but whether many times we can even preempt that through our taking a look inside. Other times we may need the urgency and may need to have some intervention first, but then let's not stop with just that intervention because, because the symptom went away doesn't mean we've gotten to the cause. We need to then search then to see what is it that's behind there, what's, my, what's the language my body is expressing. To see each symptom, whether it's a little one or a big one, as just some language that needs to be translated. For us to understand what it is saying then we can get to what's behind it and then we don't have to let it develop into a serious more serious illness we don't let it have to keep recurring or we don't have to have a serious one repeat itself and all of, because we've taken the time to get back to what's at the origin
2: and, and and what is at the origin is often held in our unconscious uh, our subconscious uh, below our awareness let us say so in the work that you do in helping people, how do you help people access what is hidden uh, from their conscious awareness?
3: Well, sometimes we can just have them associate to uh, that symptom and get that can take them to it. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes it's not there it's so readily available. So one thing I've written in my book is a, uh, a self-awareness questionnaire people can take that helps them reflect on their response to certain kinds of symptoms or illnesses or family's thoughts or systems about thinking and the culture and so on and by doing that that seems to bring some things to the surface or conscious awareness for people but then on the top of that the thing that i find most valid is to use the muscle testing from applied kinesiology because we find in uh in um, applied kinesiology that when you press on a person's arm and they resist as much as they can if they make a statement that you know to be true uh that they know from their inner wisdom to be true, uh, the arm becomes strong. If they make a statement their inner knowingness knows to be false, the arm automatically becomes weak, no matter how strongly and how hard they are resisting. And so if you do that with a few simple things, like my accurate name and inaccurate name, the color of my hair and inaccurate color of my hair, or the accurate color of my shirt and inaccurate color, and you see that it gets strong on the accurate answer and weak on the other then we can do the same thing about where the origins of this might come and so we have some knowledge maybe that uh, there was a uh, divorce in the family when the child was three years of age and there was a lot of reaction to that because there was fighting before and then there's a loss of one parent moving out and moving away so we might know that history but we can check and see well how much disturbance on a scale of 0 to 10 actually remains from that kind of trauma. and. The person would probably make a guess at it, and they might say it's a 3 or a 4 or a 5 or something. We do muscle testing, you may often find that might not be the case. It might be a 9 or a 10 on a 10-point scale. We do muscle testing. We find that uh, this is actually directly related to such and such a symptom that person carries and to repeated problems which have reinforced that tendency in that direction. And so, so Henry this, ha- and that, that, that's the trauma that needs to be clearing because the trauma is just encoding some information in our uh, survival brain and to the body and our energy field, much like we have encoding some information just in our computers because the brain is a prototype of the computer.
2: And how accurate is the muscle testing in your experience?
3: Uh, I find it uh, pretty accurate, not very accurate when we do self-testing. <laughs> and not very accurate if I approach it with a, my own ego wish or my own ego fear.
2: Ah, right. Okay.
3: Uh, so, those contaminate it tremendously. Okay. But if two minds join together in the search for truth here, that we really want the truth as to what would help this person be free of the suffering and can be free to have peace and joy, happiness, love and all health and all those sort of good things. And if that's our joined intention, I find in those instances it's, it's pretty, I'd say 99% of the time it seems accurate.
2: So you mentioned two words at the beginning of your talk about sincerity and curiosity, and those are key words in really resolving this, aren't they?
3: Uh, yes, they are. Because if I'm sincere and, and curious and willing to go to answers that are very irrational, that are not very reasonable, that are not maybe sh- put me in the best light, but I want to get to the answer because I can clear it out then. It's not that something's wrong with me, and we need to get past the whole idea of pathology that we have so much in the mental health field and labels we put on people. We need to see it's just the human condition and responses and programmings that get involved there and that we can identify those and we can do that clearing of those and do reprogramming, in essence, of those systems that we carry in our computer brains.
2: So having someone walking alongside you in this, as you say, this co-creative, genuine, sincere desire to understand and, and understand from a deeper perspective, not just about your own situation, but actually how this works on a, on a bigger scale is a really important part of this, uh, this journey.
3: Yeah, Henry, it might not be, for example, if you're married and your, your spouse has some kind of an illness and uh, you're desperate for that person to stay alive because you can't stand the thought that you might lose them and they die. Then my own ego wish and my fear both can be in there and contaminate the results.
2: Understood. Henry, we're coming up to our second break, so we'll continue this fascinating discussion on our return. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
1: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to myheartcenterjourney.com for more information. Be Visionary. This
1: is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. listening to awakening to conscious co-creation with peter tongue if you have a question for peter or comment on this series please send an email to descending at gmail.com that's descending at gmail.com now back to our program
2: welcome back to awakening to conscious co-creation with your host peter tongue just a reminder that we've got a phenomenal trip organized to the south of France for the fall equinox, leaving on September the 9th and returning on September the 22nd, 23rd, ending up in Chartres Cathedral and Paris, after having gone through the Languedoc uh, area of southern France, the Cathars, the Knights Templar and, and le Chateau and the incredible mystery around that. And so uh, we're already almost full, actually. Um, but there are some wonderful people going on the trip, and so if you are interested and would like to get involved, please go to www.celticmysticaljourneys.com and go to the trip for the South of France, which is which is taking place in the fall, in September, and uh, make the connection, look at the itinerary, and if you're interested, come and join us. It's going to be a tremendous adventure. I have with me today Dr. Henry Grayson, who's written a wonderful book called "Use Your Body to Heal Your Mind." And I'd love you now, Henry, to talk a little bit about how the work that you're doing fits together with all the new awareness coming through the quantum science.
3: Mm. Well, I think the thing that's so important for us to see from the quantum physics perspective is that everything is in a constant state of change and changing, and it seems to be consciousness that rules. So much of what we thought was fixed matter What we're learning from, that's from the old science of Isaac Newton of almost 350 years ago, where the only thing that was real is what you can experience with your five senses and measure it. And the quantum world is quite different. Now, we we were taught, when we were in school, we were taught that you could, uh, remember our teachers would draw diagrams of the atom on the board, and it would look like uh, little planets revolving around the sun for the electron, proton, neutron, and so on. Now, the scientists will, in the laboratories, crush an atom, and what they find when it's crushed is there's nothing there but just a spark of energy. That's really quite remarkable when you think of your body is comprised of atoms. Uh, the chair you're sitting in is comprised of atoms. Even the car you drive is comprised of atoms. The trees outside you that look quite substantial are comprised of atoms. And if we look at it from a quantum physics perspective, there's really virtually nothing there. There's just what they call a tendency to exist. Because at the quantum level, which is 10,000 to 10, 20, 30, 40 million times smaller than the smallest atom, uh, you can't tell the difference between the vibrational level, energy, and matter. <clears throat> and at some point, the, it slows down enough to make it appear as what we think of as matter. But it seems to be, the physicists say, consciousness that determines that vibrational change. And even our bodies, then we're looking at it this way, are 99.999% empty space. And if we can look at this in that way and to see its consciousness that's ruling, then my illnesses are not locked in. My genes are not even locked in because a new field of epigenetics, you know, we used to think the genes were pretty much fixed. Now the new field of epigenetics says that it's what epigenetics, what is above the genes. And then what's above the genes is the environment. And what is the environment, to a large degree, is consciousness. That's even more powerful influence than the physical environment on the, uh, anything, a cell in a petri dish, for example. So uh, if we recognize that, then we realizing we have infinite potentiality related to our consciousness. And this ties in so much with ancient wisdom as well of many spiritual traditions in the world. Where they talk about us being one with the divine, or one with what we call God, or one with nature, or one with the all that is. And in that sense, there's like uh, the holographic view of the universe, which is just meaning that every piece contains a whole. We're all interconnected. Or as Urban Schrodinger, an eminent physicist, put it, the number of minds I've been able to observe in the universe, he says, is one. We're all part of one unified field. In fact, one person that was a major influence in my life was... Physicist David Bohm, who wrote the classic book, Wholeness and Implicate Order. And out of that, I began to see the interconnectedness of everything and everyone, and that there's no real separation. As Einstein put it, it's just an optical illusion that we are separate, he said, (laughs) which is quite a remarkable statement. So if we realize that, we realize we are connected with the source of power of the universe. We are part of it, we're not separate from it. And it's only my illusion that keeps me thinking I'm separate, and it's that illusion that keeps me actually in sickness then.
2: So there's, a, there's an incredible belief, uh, perception change here that can really help us on this journey to, to, to shift from this old 3D world of the physical, mechanical, to this light, bright consciousness able to dictate the way we go.
3: That's right, that's right. Because if we are thinking in the old ma- manner the way so many of our physicians do, that this, everything is linear and that one cause creates an effect. And if it has been this, it has to be a continuation of that going forward. And so like, uh, uh, like I mean, one self-healing I did is what's relevant to this. I think about 25 years ago, I had such a severely degenerated disc in my back, the x-ray showed, and the doctor said I probably would not walk again without back surgery. I Many of it was so excruciating pain, I could not move a centimeter in the bed without feeling like someone was jabbing me in the back with an ice pick and shocking me with electrodes from down my back and down the sciatic nerve down my leg. And I knew that at that time, I didn't want surgery because 68% of the time, you were worse off afterward, and the odds were not really in favor, and I love to be active. I love sports. I love getting around. So I began to ask myself those, <clears throat> those same questions that I mentioned before. Why might I need this So and so on. And as I went through those questions, I came up with several things I needed to attend to. Uh, some issues I needed to attend to in my life, a trauma of a person I'd feel felt uh, you know, rejected by or be- actually betrayed by, and the feelings there I had not dealt with. I needed to change some things in my lifestyle. Uh, I never dealt with any kind of uh, stretching, even though I'd done a lot of sports. So I made a vow that I would start doing yoga. I would never done anything to keep stress levels down. And monitor my thoughts. So I made a about, I started a regular practice of meditation, which is a very important part of mind training. And it, such a stress redu, reducer and um, immune enhancer. And so there's a whole bunch of things I decided to do and made a firm commitment that I knew I would do. And then two months later, I was skiing in Colorado. And then the most amazing part was, just a number of years ago, I went for a routine physical exam which I do every few years to show the doctor how healthy I am, not to <laughs> seek for what's wrong. But I went in, and he says, we need to take a, a, a picture of your lungs. We've not done that for a decade. I'd be amiss if I didn't. He finally talked me into it, even though I didn't want to do the x-ray. But I'm glad I did now, because he came back, and he says, Henry, your lungs are fine. He says, but you won't believe this. He says, that disc of yours, is not supposed to happen. It's a miracle. It's regenerated. I don't know how that could happen, but it's it's there on the x-rays. Look, look, look. And he was so excited about that, and it's something he says is not supposed to happen. Well, in a Newtonian world, it's not supposed to happen. But in a quantum world and in a spiritual world, it easily happens because it's consciousness that rules. And I'd shifted my consciousness enough and reflected in my lifestyle changes enough, and I dealt with the issues behind that enough that, that this could restore itself.
2: Henry, can you uh, can you give us another example? Perhaps an example around cancer might be uh, a good thing for our listeners to hear.
3: Well, let's think what comes to mind now is somebody who came to me a few months ago, who had stage four stomach cancer, and the doctors was pretty you know was pretty uh, concerned about that because the cancer markers were like you know, like two thousand two hundred seventy or seventy five or something like that, which were very high, and said we've got to give you uh, chemo and we've got to uh, go have surgery once we uh, do that for a bit and so we get the rest of that tumor out because it was quite big and her stomach was protruding significantly. Well, once she came to see me and what we started to do was to identify what traumas she'd had and there were a number of them in her adult life and her childhood that we needed to clear. The muscle testing had said that those definitely had played a role. Uh, there was a trauma of an ending of a marriage that was really traumatic that uh, was needed to be cleared in her adult life and we identified beliefs that she carried about sickness, about herself, and about life. We dealt with an issue in her life because her old career was fading out, and she didn't know what she was going to do, and it was meaningful to support herself the rest of her life. So we dealt with all those issues and came up with those. And then we also, because she did decide to go along with the chemo, we decided we would give instructions to her body as to what to do with it. So she would have better results and not have the uh, side effects. So she began to give instructions every time she would take it. And every day, several times a day, she would remind her body that that chemo was just to go only to cancer cells. It was not to touch any other parts of the body. And it was just take the cancer cells and process those out through the elimination system in their body. And it would not touch anything else, which means it would not then create harmful side effects. Well, she did that with that ritual with some diligence. And then the doctor says, we need to have the surgery now to clear, take out the rest of the trauma, I mean the tumor. And they opened her up and went in there, and there was nothing there but dead cells. The tumor was totally gone. But even before they had the surgery, she'd brought the cancer markers already down to uh, under 200, from over, way over 2,000. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. This just doesn't happen. I've never seen this happen before. I can't explain it. You know, and was really ecstatic about it. And then the surgeon had the same reaction, you know, when he opened her up and found that nothing was there. So what we're seeing here is that her consciousness, and they said it's a miracle, too, because even with a chemo, this kind of result does not happen. But this was the miracle that went far beyond what the results might be with a chemo, bringing down the cancer markers a moderate amount and the tumor size a moderate amount. So what that tells me, it was her consciousness and her intent and her getting rid of her barriers and then focusing her consciousness toward healing and health and happiness that made the difference.
2: It's a hugely important story, Henry, both in terms of the the doctors who who sadly have this uh, disbelief that these things can happen, but also the fact that you can, through literally talking to your body and talking it through these different circumstances, using that level of higher consciousness, uh, with the body to actually transcend uh, these situations, the illnesses, and, and the treatments as well. It's, it, it doesn't mean you don't necessarily have the treatment, but you work with the treatment in a conscious way as well.
3: I've seen people do it each way, sometimes with the treatment, sometimes without, because that has to be their choice, not mine. You know, and I'm that is it, isn't it?
2: In, in working alongside, it has to be the person's individual choice. It's their life, and, and we support right. in whatever way we can their decision.
3: Well, one thing that occurs to me that people could experiment with is a little thing of just seeing how their mind rules. Uh, There's something I happened a couple of weeks ago. I like to work out and exercise, and I'd done a, too, too many uh, little curls with my arm, I guess, the day before, and I was going to exercise, and I felt pain in my, my bicep and tricep and my shoulder as I started to do it. And the first thought came to my mind, well, I like to say in the gyms, no pain, no gain, but I'd... Dismissed that one years ago as a philosophy. <laughs> <by>. and, me. <laughs> and then I thought, well, in yogic philosophy, they' thing we well, just move up to the point of pain and then stop. And I thought, that's much more humane, and that's what I've often done. But I thought, no, in the quantum world view, there's another option here. I can tell my muscle what to do. And so I did that, and I said, now as I begin to continue this curl and doing the exercise, that muscle's going to relax. All the tension is gone that brings the pain, and it's going to become st- relaxed and stronger all at the same time totally pain-free. And as so I did that, I went ahead and did about 10 or 15 more curls totally pain-free. The t- pain just totally went away. And I find I can do that with all sorts of little things like that. And if we practice it with little things, we can build up our confidence so we can do it with bigger things.
2: Henry, we're coming up to our final break. That's a perfect time for us to take this break. Uh, It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
1: The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network.
0: Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to myheartcenteredjourney.com for more information.
1: Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Listening to awakening to conscious co-creation with peter Tong. if you have a question for peter or comment on this series please send an email to descending dove at gmail.com that's descending dove at gmail.com now back to our program
2: welcome back to awakening to conscious co-creation with your host peter tongue i'm just going to read a quote from the front cover of uh Henry Grayson's book from Larry Dossi, which says, Dr. Grayson is a master in helping anyone overcome their, their hidden barriers to health and vitality. If you aspire to the upper echelons of health, yet are unable to realize them, this practical book is for you. And I totally agree with that comment. And anyone who is uh, assisting people in their healing journey uh, or are themselves healing or are interested in how this very complex and fascinating way in which the body and mind interact, this really is a must for you to read. Use Your Body to Heal Your Mind by Dr. Henry Grayson. So, Henry, how can people get hold of the book or get hold of you? Give us uh, the information.
3: Well, they can find the book the easiest way. is on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Go online and they can order it. They can also order it from my website, uh, which is henrygrayson.com. That's spelled dot com, And so uh, uh, some bookstores are carrying it, but uh, not as many as they used to be these days because people aren't going to bookstores that much. But uh, those are the quickest ways that one can get a copy of it. And it's uh, Use Your Body to Heal Your Mind, but the subtitle is important too. Uh, revolutionary Methods to Release All Barriers to Healing, Health, and Happiness. Because what we're trying to get to there is... Uh, that we can heal more easily if we don't have barriers holding us back. It's sort of like you can sail a boat much more effectively if you don't have anchors that are down under the water keeping the boat from moving. And that's exactly the kind of image I'd like for us to have about our own health.
2: Well, let's talk about health. Let's talk about being happy, healthy, and living a vibrant and vital life. So so what are these tools? What what are the ways in which we can live this way?
3: Well, first of all, I find that most of us know abundance of things that we can do, but how most people don't use them. Most people don't do what they know it would take to be healthy and happy. Most people know they should eat healthy foods, but don't. Those would help to exercise, but don't. People know that meditation would help them relax, but don't do it. In fact, 95% of the people who go and study and learn meditation don't continue to practice it. So we'd have to say, that's why I want to deal with the barriers, because... I've discovered in my surveys around the country that 100% of the people have barriers of one kind or another. And just two simple ones I've discovered in my surveys, that people had 82% of the population in cities all around the country uh, believe they didn't deserve to be totally healthy and happy uh, or that it was not safe to be totally healthy and happy. 82% had both and the other 18% had uh, one or the other. And these are just only part of the barriers. So if we're not attending to these blocks, we may not use the tools that we know would help. But then again, what are those tools? Well, certainly nutrition is good. Certainly uh, meditation is really outstandingly good for us. Well, uh, We can use some of these energy methods on ourselves, like the tapping on acupressure points, like an EFT, uh, where we can just release um, immediate disturbance. I mean, if I have a little disturbance in my life, I'll sit down for three or four minutes and do a round of tapping on myself, just so I don't carry any residue of that. Even if a driver pulls out in front of me at 90 miles an hour and almost hits me and runs me off the road, and I'm angry, frightened, and pissed for a moment, I don't want to carry it. I'll do one of these rounds of tapping on my acupressure points before, you know, and release it, so I don't carry that kind of stress with me. And uh, another one I think is a wonderful first aid measure is what I call the thymus heart rub, just to bring the right hand up over the chest, the upper chest, up over the heart and over the thymus gland with a hand flat on the chest and just rubbing in a clockwise fashion, uh, looking on from the outside. And if you're really uh, anxious and afraid about, worried about something, you might just say to yourself three or four or five or ten times, I deeply love and accept myself, even though I'm feeling so anxious or so worried right now. I deeply love and accept myself, even though I'm worried to death right now, things like that. and Whatever the emotion might be or the disturbance, just doing that can often just take the edge off and make a person return more to a peaceful state, when we do that, we slow down the stress hormones. When we slow down the stress hormones, we also let the blood flow go back to our frontal lobes of the brain. We can be intelligent in our problem-solving again. Whereas if we stay stressed out, as much as 70% of our blood flow to our brains is restricted, and it literally dumbs us down. So having these first aid measures that we can do to keep returning to peace. If I get really disturbed about something, I'll go do an extra meditation. I'll do extra rounds of the uh, meridian stimulation work. I'll do extra rounds of the thymus heart rub because I want to make sure that I keep back in a state of peace as many of the moments of the day as I possibly can.
2: And Henry, when you say meditation, just give our listeners a a bit of an insight into how you meditate.
3: Well, just a very simple thing. I will focus on my breath uh, slowly and deeply. I might even say the words silently to myself just in as the breath goes in and out as it goes out. I will sometimes maybe have a word or a phrase I'll say to myself over and over again, and my mind will always stray, as many people do. Many people don't meditate to say I'm just, I'm no good at it because my mind stays active. Well, that's true of most people's minds. That doesn't mean you're not meditating. It just means we observe the thought. We see that, okay, three minutes ago my mind was halfway around the world. I catch it now. I come back to my focal point. Of focusing on my breath, or focusing on my word, or my mantra, or whatever it is I'm using. And if I can use that just as a focal point, I, my mind will stray, I come back to focus. My mind will stray, I come back to focus again. My mind will stray, I come back to focus. That's the mind training. And it's like we train a, train a horse that way. We gradually turn, train them to respond to the slightest little gesture. We don't beat them up, we just gently train them. And that's what we need to do with the wild horses of our minds. Let's just gently train them to come back to focus where we want it to be focused. And that's mostly to a place of peace. I'd love
2: you just to uh, to, to have a few words about uh, what is happening in the world today on the bigger picture and how you, through the work that you're doing, are seeing all of this unfold on our sacred planet.
3: Well, I think a lot is happening. And maybe the, <laughs> the volume calendar ending later this year is symbolic. Of a shift in energy on the surface of the earth. We see a lot of the old systems collapsing. We see a lot of weather patterns that are highly unusual erupting. We see economic systems collapsing around the world. We see a lot of sh- uh, uh, turmoil here happening, chaos. In physics and chaos theory, is that chaos has to happen for us to reorganize at a higher level in the universe. And that seems to be what's happening now. Out of all this chaos, we have an opportunity for a higher level of reorganization. And I'm seeing more and more people who are more open to this and more open to seeing that something rules other than just how much money or what status you have, but seeing that there's got to be another realm that's important here, or beginning to see our interconnectedness of mind, that we are all interconnected, that we're all affecting each other. And as that's emerging more, uh, then we affect countless other minds ourselves. And that helps us move to this higher level of reorganization as well.
2: And so I, 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 we're coming towards the end of the show, and I just wanted you to make a comment because it comes through very strongly in, in, in your book to me, and that's this, that the actual physical body is a tool for us to understand what it is we need to resolve and clear so that we can live a, a happy and successful life. That's right,
3: because if we see that the true healing is not just getting rid of the symptom, but getting rid of the symptom takes us to a higher level of healing, which is to heal the mind that needed the body to be sick. And if we realize that the mind is really what's more powerful, it's my mind that's part of the unified field, it's my mind that's part of the God mind, as it's often called. And if I can heal my illusion of separateness, But to recognize how much I'm connected to this higher source of the universe, that's the real healing and the total, the true healing for all of us.
2: And that energy that then can flow through the body can then really energize us and take us to a higher level of of awareness and also a higher level of living a healthy and happy life.
3: Exactly, exactly. Because then I realized that the highest and strongest force of the universe actually is love, that all those spiritual teachings are not just a mamby-pamby thing. But there are mounds of research growing now that show how just thinking loving thoughts versus fear thoughts or resentful thoughts instantly affects your immune system, instantly affects your heart rate variability, instantly affects your muscular strength, instantly affects all the cells in your body, literally.
2: Well, Henry, I love your, your mantra that you just mentioned uh, when you're rubbing the thymus, I deeply love and accept myself, because that's ultimately what this is about, isn't it? I'm sorry? I said I really appreciated your mantra. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. You were talking about I deeply love and accept myself, because that's know. what this is really all about.
3: Yeah. Yes, right. It's
2: well, Henry, strange. it's been a wonderful time spent with you. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time together, but it's been a wonderful show, And I really appreciate your time today, and congratulations on your wonderful book.
3: And thank you for allowing me to be on the show and have a great conversation with you.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Dr. Henry Grayson, use your Body to Heal Your Mind. Next week's show, another fascinating show with Chris Dunn, who is an expert precision engineer who has investigated the Egyptian uh, pyramids and the Great Pyramid in particular, and what that was really all about not what we are told and so it'll be another fascinating show on awakening to conscious co-creation have a great week this is peter Tang signing off for awakening to conscious co-creation